This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. Get a Bible once you raise your hand and our ushers will get you a Bible. Once you get a Bible, go with me to Ephesians 2 is where we'll begin today. We'll begin to navigate through here and see how far we get this morning. Ephesians 2, again, if you need a Bible, get your hand up real high. You know, as, as you're turning there, we, we really need to emphasize the Bible. Whether that's here, whether that's in your home, your business, because only the Bible, the Word of God, is the truth. And so if I'm not emphasizing the truth, then I'm going to start living a lie. And so you got to stay with the Bible, and that's what you'll see even some here this morning. We're on our second uh, day as far as the wake-up series, so Ephesians 2, verse number 1, and you he made alive. Now, I, I love the start there, and you he made alive. Every one of us, you're the you, and I'm the you. And it says, and you, he. There's only one he, and that's Father God. So, in you, he made alive. Now, listen what he goes on to say. Who were dead. So, it's like here, the, the Apostle Paul starts with this corners report. And outside of the Lord Jesus... Every one of us are dead spiritually. What that means is you're separated from God. And so every one of us are dead. But he tells us right here, and you he made alive who were dead. Now, the name of the graveyard is trespasses and sins. The, the New Living says that it's disobedience and many sins. And so then he goes in and he talks about, I believe, these three nails that keep the coffin of death shut on us. In verse 2, he goes on to say, In which you walked according to the course of this world, you, you allowed the world to dictate how you were going to live. That's the first one. Then the second one, he said, According to the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. That's Satan. That's who that is. The last one in verse 2 is, and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, which is talking about my, my flesh, your flesh. I'm, I'm dominated by my flesh. I, I don't do the things I want to do. He goes on to say in verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. Now pay real close attention to that. He said, also, we all. We all. You know what that means? Every one of us. Doesn't matter who you are. So guess what he's telling us? Then, Since it's all of us, we're on this level field. We all have the same issues. And he said, and since we all conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh and we fulfilled desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. So he says, literally, you're the living dead. You, you've got mobility, but you have no life. And so he says, by nature, you know what my nature was? That was a sin nature. Every one of us, when we're born into this world, we have this sin nature. 
And so you know what sinners do? They sin. And it's interesting that he said, we all were once this way. And so by nature, outside of Christ, this is how I'm going to live. So what happens with us, we try to solve external problems in the wrong way. We, we, we try to, to take these external solutions to solve internal problems. So what would be an external solution to this internal problem? Well, sometimes we think I'm so smart. I'm educated, I'm rich, I'm famous. Nothing wrong with any of those, but not one of those changed the heart. So the issue of the heart is still the heart of the issue. And so there's only one way we have a change of heart. If, if we don't like, by, by nature, children of wrath, there's only one way to change that nature. Verse 4. But God. Now those two words right there, but God, they change everything. Every, but God. But God. Those are very welcoming words. But God who is rich in mercy. God is rich in compassion. You know, the definition of mercy is that men, you don't get what we deserve. Whew. Thank God for his mercy. But he's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Us, every one of us. There's not one of us in here that he doesn't want to show his mercy and his love to. And so this is what the Apostle Paul is, is talking about right here. That I'm motivated, or God's motivated by love, and he extends grace to every one of us. And so, but God, because of God, everything changes because of God. I don't care how bad you've been, how good you think you've been, this is the answer. Now, turn with me to your right to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3, uh, you'll go through Philippians, Colossians, the, the Thessalonians, and you'll come into 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3. And so the Apostle Paul has some great things to say right here. You got to get this, okay? We begin... Verse number one, 2 Timothy 3, verse one. But know this, understand this, you gotta get this, that in the last days, and if you were here last week, we, we talked about in Matthew 24, verse three, it says, at the end of this age, as the end of this age approaches. So again, we see a little nugget here that talks about the last days. And you're like me, every one of us in here that's been on this earth very long at all. We've heard Jesus is going to come back, but he still hadn't come back yet. But that doesn't mean he's not going to. He's going to come back. And it's interesting that he highlights and he says, you got to get this. You got to know this, that in the end of this age, as time's getting ready to expire, perilous times will come. Notice he didn't say may come. He said, we'll come. So what we have to do here, just briefly, 
Let's define what he says perilous means. That word means harsh, savage, difficult, dangerous, painful, fierce, grievous. The word literally describes a society that is barren of virtue. Now this becomes a warning to us right here from the Apostle Paul. And the warning is, this is going to become, the message says, don't be naive. The Passion Translation says, a culture of society will become extremely fierce. So don't settle for comfort over commitment. In other words, don't compromise. So what the Apostle Paul does is verses two through four, he highlights this crazy list of these sinful attitudes and sinful behaviors that are going to characterize these last days. Now, I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation because it's a lot easier to grasp some of the words. But as we're going through these words, I'm going to ask you just to take inventory, maybe a mental check mark on any of these that perhaps could define you or me. Verse 2, people will be self-centered, lovers of themselves, and obsessed with money. Kind of sounds like America right now. They will boast of great things as they strut around in their arrogant pride and mock all that is right. They will ignore their own families. They will be ungrateful and ungodly. You know what this, this verse literally means? They will reject grace. Verse 3. They will become addicted to hateful and malicious slander. Slaves to their desires. They will be ferocious, belligerent haters of what is good and right with brutal treachery. They will act without restraint, bigoted and wrapped in clouds of their conceit. They will find their delight in the pleasures of this world more than the pleasures of, the loving, of loving God. Now you can either say amen or oh me. There were some of these I said oh me. When you begin to look at this, this really describes the times we're in, I believe. Now, back to verse five, and I'm gonna go back to the New King James Version. He says in verse five, having a form of godliness, taking on a, a form of godliness, maybe better defined as, as an outward shape, a show, an act, nothing of content, how about this? A religious camouflage. Taking on the form of Christian. And so what would that look like? Well, I, I know how to speak in Christianese. I, I, can, I, I can quote a few Bible verses. I, I go to church. I have 22 different translations of the New Testament. I have a God Squad bumper sticker on my car. 
Ooh, let's get real deep now. I've even got a fish emblem on my car. Let's go real deep. I even wear a, a, a cross around my neck. Taking on the form of Christian. But the power is denied. In God we trust only when we lust for the apple of our eye. And so when I read this taking on a form of Christian, how many people in our society ask me, oh, I'm a Christian. See, I, I, I talk the talk, but do I walk the walk? So he says, having a form of godliness, but, but they deny the power. They deny the very power that can change us. So am I just going through the motions? Do I just play church? And listen what he says at the end of verse five. And from such people, turn away. Get away from them. Not that I hate them, not that I'm better than them, but it's interesting that he tells us, get, get away from them. And so I can only be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you. I, I don't want to be a pretender. And so this is what he's, he's going about. And this is interesting when he writes this because I believe he's writing this as a warning to church folk. We live in perilous times, dangerous times. But if you ever study the Bible, what you begin to find is it's amazing how history repeats itself over and over again. So go with me to the book of Judges. Chapter 2, uh, you'll go to um, Joshua, Deuteronomy, Joshua, then Judges. If you've gone to 1 Samuel, you've gone just a little too far. I, I've been in Judges for several, several months now studying. Judges is a very dark time in the nation of Israel. It's a very chaotic period. And part of the problem was the people did what they thought was right in their own eyes. Now let me ask you a question right now. If you did everything you thought was right in your own eyes, where do you think you would be right now? Not good for this guy. Thank God for the Bible. Thank God for the Word of God, the blueprint that tells me how to live life. So we pick up in this very chaotic period in Judges 2, verse 1. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum. Now the word Bochum literally means weeping. Doesn't say laughter, it says weeping. And he said, I led you up from Egypt. Now that was when the, the, the Egyptians had him in bondage for 400 years. And the angel of the Lord said, remember... I led you up from Egypt and I brought you to the land or the promised land which I swore to your fathers and I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Now understand this, God is not a covenant breaker. You know what that means? God, God is faithful. So when you see the word covenant, it, it means a bond, a sacred binding agreement. One of the best examples I can give you for a covenant is when you get married, you fall into a marriage covenant. You know what that means? Each one of you have a part to play. 
So God right here, he tells us, I got a covenant with you. I'm faithful. I'm, I'm not going to break my end of the bargain. So what this tells me here, when God makes a covenant with the Israelites, he puts some stipulations. Now let's look at the stipulations. Verse 2. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. In other words, don't act like the world and the, the, the people of the land were a bunch of Canaanites. Oof, they needed Jesus bad, just like me and you. He goes on to say, you shall tear down their altars. Now notice he didn't say flirt with them. He didn't say ignore them. He said tear them down. Get, get them out of your life. And the reason he says tear them down, because if you don't tear them down, they're going to keep hanging around. And they'll come back into your life. So he says tear them down. But watch the end of this verse. He says, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? You rejected and disobeyed God. And so instead of making that covenant treaty with God, they start making a treaty with the, with the Canaanite folks. And so when I look at this, do we want God's covenant promises and blessings while excusing our own personal responsibility? Now, I would say yes to that. Every one of us in here would say, yes, I want God's blessings. I want God's covenant promises. But do I want to excuse my actions and my behaviors and think, you know what, I can live however I want. And God, you're like an ATM machine. Pay up. I want those blessings. I want to live however I want, but I want your blessing. So this is what he's getting on. And I believe to us this morning, this becomes a wake-up call. Wake up. Verse 3. Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you. Now listen, listen. But they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods will be a snare or a trap to you. In other words, your disobedience is going to come back after you. And so Canaan's greatest threat to the Israelite wasn't their military, but it was their religious and their worldview. They were a, a me-first society, and God knew that, and he kept warning them, don't do that, don't do that. So let me paraphrase just real quick. The man who had led the Israelites all this time up to this point was Joshua. Joshua was the spiritual gorilla glue to the Israelites at this time. He, he held them together. You know why? He wouldn't let them compromise. He, he, kept, he kept them in a place of accountability. Do you know every one of us in here needs someone to be accountable to? Someone that can say, no, you can't do that. So Joshua at this point right here, he dies. Joshua departs and goes to heaven. Now, I, I want to show you just biblically how quick humanity can get off track. How quick we can lose our appetite for the things of God. Watch this. Judges 2, verse 10. 
when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them, right after them, who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Now, when it says it did not know, this literally means they did not acknowledge or they did not serve him. And so I really have this thought here. Their parents failed to teach them what was right and wrong. I believe God's wanting to raise the bar because as the family goes, a society goes. And when I talk about a family, I'm talking about a biblically ordained family that has within its means a spiritual development. If you don't teach your kids the word of God, the, the world, the Canaanites are going to teach them. That's not good. Preach, pastor, preach. Okay, I'll do it. Verse 11, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. Now, now think just a second here, okay? Let this soak. These are God's chosen people. These are the Israelites. And they start serving the Baals. A, a, a false God, a fertility and nature God. They exchange God for a false God. Keep reading. And they forsook the Lord. They abandoned the Lord. They deserted the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. Now you say, why do you highlight these idols here today? I'm, I'm not going to serve a wooden or carved image. Do you know the definition of an idol? Is a person, place, or thing that you substitute in your life for God. In other words, that person, place, or thing becomes your source. And some of you would say, well, I don't have a problem with that. I think we have more of a problem with that than we realize. See, there's a lot of things that become our God. What do you give most of your time to? What do you give your attention to? Here's a good one. What do you save your money for? Not all bad, except when those things start to determine how I'm going to live and they dictate my choices. And so we're not exempt from this, and I believe this is a wake-up call. Do you know something as simple as football can become our God? This, this isn't a slam you. How many of you in here, you can tell me right now, I will not miss one of the Cowboys games this year? Go ahead, raise your hand. Come on, don't be liars. Thank you. Thank you. I don't mean that ugly. I, I watch way more football than I probably should. But just think about this on Sunday afternoons. How many people are decked out in their cowboy outfit, their chief outfit, the raider? How many people have their face painted? How many of them do the weirdest stuff with their hair? How many of them would cut off an arm to get a ticket to it? See? So, so don't tell me those things can't be a God. Now, this one's going to hurt. How many of you would miss church in favor of the Cowboys? Don't raise your hand on that one, okay? 
See, I think at times, and it could be anything from shopping to, to, to pleasure. Nothing wrong with those things until they start replacing God in my life. Verse 13. They forsook the Lord and they served Baal and the Asherahs. And I already defined Baal, but the Asherahs, they were female deities. Hmm. And can you picture this? These are the ones that have served God. These are the ones that had seen God part the Red Sea. These are the ones that had witnessed God feed them with manna. These are the ones that saw God bust the rocks open and give them water. And all of a sudden, they put these carvings and, and molds and just junk before their lives. Now, you can do that. But you're going to get a reaction from God that many times, we don't want to talk about this. Look at verse number 14. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. It was hot. God wasn't well pleased. You know what? My paraphrased edition about this, and if you lose your salvation, it's okay. He was pissed. I mean, it was like, how, how dare you? So he delivered him into the hands of the plunderers who despoiled them, and he sold them to the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before the enemies. You know what that means? When they chose those idols of God, you know what God does? God backs up and says, have it your way. If that's what you want, there you go. I'm out of the picture. Keep reading what he says next. Verse 15. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said, as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. So when you read right here, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity. They had compromised, so guess what God does? God backs up again. God doesn't create the calamity, but he backs up and he knows what's fixing to happen. So if you're experiencing a bunch of calamity or a bunch of crap has hit the fan right now, could it be because I've... Replace God in my life. But see, we go back again. We take on the form of Christian. See, this is all interesting. This is a, a wake up. Verse 16. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. God said, mercy. I, I, I wanted mercy. I want to give them another chance. Verse 17, yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods. They bowed down to them. They turned, listen, quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. So when he says here, the problem is you quit obeying. But we sure want you to bless us, God. We sure want you to take care of us. So verse 18, and when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. So God shows back up. He gives them many years moaning and groaning. You would think this time it would stick. But verse 19 says, and it came to pass when the judge was dead, that they reverted 
and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them. They bowed down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. Could that define me? Could that describe me? See, it kept getting more wicked and more wicked. Then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenants when I commanded their fathers and has not heeded my voice. So again, we can't, we can't get away from the word. We've got to stay with the things of God. I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died so that through them I may test Israel whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. So, he gives them a test. And he gives us tests. And you know what the test is about? The test validates us or invalidates us with our commitment. In other words, when God gives you and me a test, it becomes a locator of my heart. Will you obey me? Will, will you do what I ask you to do? So here these last few minutes. I'm going I'm to run you to Psalms 50. Last one, Psalms 50. And this ties in with everything we've just talked about here. Psalms 50, verse 15. The Lord said, call upon me in the day of trouble. Cry out to me in the day of trouble. Right here, God gives us permission to pray, to call out to him. He said, call out on me, call upon me in the day of trouble. What an invitation. And then he says, and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. But, a little but in there. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to declare or to claim my statutes? What right do you have quoting my word? What right do you have quoting my blessings? Or take my covenant in your mouth. So was he telling them, the only time you call out for me is when you're in trouble? Do you go day by day by day and you quote my scriptures, you quote my, my word? And a great illustration of this as Christians is, is Romans 8, 31, which says, if God be for me, who can be against me? And Christians are good. If God be for me, everybody else might as well be for me. And Romans 8, 28 says, he causes all things to work together for good. And so we quote that part. Woo, God's causing all things to work together for my good. But we leave off one part of that. And he says, to those who love me. And John 14, 15, he said, to those who love me, you obey me. And so I want to quote all God's blessings. Bless me, bless me, bless me, Father God. But I don't want to obey you. And so when I looked at them, I thought, man, is the Lord screaming at us right now? Wake up. Wake up. See, I think it's very dangerous anytime we as Christians 
we go to God and start calling out to him, start praying to him, and my heart isn't right. How do I get my heart right? I confess my sin. I repent and I said, Father God, I, I've been wrong. I've been out of alignment. And I think anytime we get our hearts right and repent, God welcomes us back in. See, let me give you a little illustration right here that'll help you. How many of you have someone in your life right now? It seems like the only time they show up is when they need something. You can raise your hand, that's okay. Just don't elbow the person next to you. See, whether you're a parent, maybe you're, you've got a friend. It's like, the only time they show up is when they need some money. The only time they call is when they're hurt. Hey, what you having for dinner? But have we treated God the same way? It's the only time I show up to God is when it's bailed me out, Father God. I got about a half a nostril without drowning. And then we begin to bargain with God. Father God, if you'll bail me out this time, I swear, I swear, I'll serve you all the days of my life. And then God bails you out and the next week, you know what you're doing? Same old thing. Same old thing. Ooh, he's rich in mercy. He's rich. I want you to stand up here with me today. I read a thing about a man of God this week. Actually, it was Dr. Tony Evans. Dr. Evans said this. He said to us pastors, he said, if you're not preaching the hard things in the Bible, and he said, if you're not correcting the people within your church, he said, you're not doing your job. And I thought, oh, Dr. Evans, that's not what I wanted to hear. But I believe this is where we gotta go, okay? I'm gonna ask you to bow your head right there where you're at. And I know we gave you a mouthful today. But are you dead in trespasses and sins right now? Have you been separated from Father God? He welcomes you back. He welcomes you, gives us the opportunity, every one of us, to respond to him today. So the first invitation I sense here is you've never made Jesus Lord of your life or right now in your life you've run from God you've run from the things of God can I tell you the Lord will welcome you back but you've got to make the decision to come he won't force you and so if you're in here right now and that's you you say I, I, I need I need Jesus I need to reconnect with the Lord Jesus I, I welcome you just, just come forward right now don't be ashamed get out of your seat and come forward God wants to touch your heart. He loves you. 
Come on. You got two. Thank you. Thank you for obeying. Anybody else? It's a good day, okay? It's a good day. You know, I'm going to ask one from our prayer team. Just go stand behind these, these three. And every one of us that are here, I'm just going to lead you through this prayer. You've you got to say this from your heart. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I come to you as a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me of all my bad choices. I ask for your mercy and your grace today. And I receive you, Lord Jesus, as Lord of my life. I ask you to come into my heart and make me alive again. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's clap for that. The second thing. Are you a 2 Timothy 3, 5? And take on the form of Christian. Only you know that in your heart. Have you played games with God? And maybe you have. Maybe some of those characteristics in 2 Timothy 3 verses 2, maybe they, they reveal something within your heart that you need to get right today. But what would happen right now if we just came before the Lord and said, God, we just confess our sins. We just repent. We want to be right with you. I want to be right with you, Father God. And so what repentance does, it, it causes our relationship to be strong. When I don't repent, it breaks my fellowship with the Lord. But if you'll just obey that, man, you come back into right standing with Father God. And God said, come on, come on, come back into right standing with me. And every one of us in here, if we have issues with something in our life that has tried to dominate us, that's an idol. Sex, oh, pastor, food, alcohol, football. I mean, it can be a number of things. But you know in your heart the areas of things in your, that are dominating you right now. And so what would happen if we came and said, Father God, today, we're not just going to ignore these, these idols. We're going to tear them down in the name of Jesus. We're going to tear them down today. So as our team's getting ready to play, man, I, I tell you, let's, let's come before God. Something happens when I just pour my heart out before God. I don't worry about who's in here. I don't care who's next to me. I come before God right now. So you watching on live stream, that's you too. Come on, guys, let's, let's respond to it. Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.